Welcome back to episode number 173 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety in industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have back on the call Kevin Cardwell, combustible dust consultant with Airdusco Engineering and Design Services. And we are covering the understanding of spark detection, arresting, aborting, and extinguishing systems. Kevin, welcome back to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Excited to have you here. Thank you, Chris. I'm happy to be here and good to talk to you again. I'm excited to go through this interview and this episode. This really spawned from a help desk question that we had come in through Dust Safety Science. It was a question about a very specific system and some prevention aspects to it and some protection aspects to it. And I wasn't quite sure about it. So we had reached out to Kevin to see if he could support us with this help desk ticket. And I had a call with Kevin. He said, yep, seen that before. You do this, this, and this. But make sure you keep this in mind. And if it, this is the case, then don't do this, any of that, and, and do this instead. <laughs> and I said, okay, that is very helpful and great to have that knowledge. And can you walk us through some of these things on fire protection and prevention? Because I saw that there's a wealth of knowledge there that I want to try to unravel. And we do get a lot of confusion around these topics of spark detection, arresting, aborting, and extinguishing systems how they fit together, what part of the system does what, do they include, when to include, you know, explosion prevention and protection aspects in there. And that's really the genesis of this interview with this kind of funny sounding title with with all these terms in it. So we're going to start by walking through just some definitions. What are the difference between these different terms? When would you use them in different types of systems? We're going to walk through an example. And then what kind of challenges typically come up and when should explosion prevention and protection be evaluated together and, and what does that look like as well. So Kevin, we had you on way back in episode 79 and then 172 last week on the podcast. Um, you're a fountain of, of knowledge and information in the space. I think to kind of jump into this topic, just what are the differences or the definitions, if you will, between spark detection, arresting, aborting, and extinguishing systems? And I think that'll give us a good platform then to, to carry on the discussion from there. Okay, Chris, I got to apologize in advance. This is going to be kind of a long answer, and I'm going to take some of those out of order. Sure. But uh, since uh, we're dealing with combustible dust here on the podcast, all this is equipment that protects process and dust collection systems and equipment. Another thing for accuracy, when I speak of sparks, that is kind of a general term. I'm not talking about electrical sparks. I'm talking about glowing uh, material, embers, that type of thing. I realize that there's a, a difference between sparks and embers, but for the purposes of this discussion, I'm going to probably use them interchangeably. First off, spark arresters. Uh, sometimes they're called spark traps. These are very common. Uh, a lot of people make them. They're usually installed in dust collection lines and your pickup hoods when you have spark or ember producing equipment and processes. Uh, for instance, uh, Grinders, sanders, polishers, uh, saws, planers, welding tables, laser or plasma cutting tables, that type of thing. Anything that provides a steady or even an intermittent stream of, of, of uh, embers into the system, we want to be able to um, basically control those. Uh, there are different types of spark arresters, uh, but most work by either providing a convoluted path for uh, for the spark to travel through, giving it time to cool down before continuing on into the uh, 
rest of the dust collection system. Another type basically just provides a wide spot in the road, for lack of a better term, that slows down the spark or, em or, or ember and, again, allows the time to cool before continuing into the ducting and onto the uh, collector, uh, whether it's a, a straight-up dust collector or a cyclone, whatever. As for uh, detection, these are used uh, in the same types of dust collecting dust collection systems uh, as arresters, but as a rule, they're installed further downstream. And there are, are different types, but as a rule, they are either infrared sensors or photosensors that basically see a spark moving in the airstream and then activate some sort of mitigation device on downstream from that. For an example, a detect and spray extinguishing a system or a detect and abort abort gate system. The extinguishing systems use water or um, another type of extinguishing agent, whatever is appropriate for the material, to spray the ember and cool it down, basically to put it out. They, again, they are activated by a spark detector upstream. Abort gates uh, redirect uh, embers or sparks around dust collectors or cyclones. They're, again, activated by an upstream detector. And the way that they are connected in their normal straight-through position, they direct the, the dust-laden airstream right into the air material separator. Again, whether, it's, whether it be a, a cyclone or a dust collector. When they're activated, they divert the flow, usually 90 degrees, and direct it to the, uh, directly to the fan uh, and out a stack. Or if you're recycling your air system back into the facility, uh, there's usually um, another abort gate or some type of diverter valve in the clean air return line that actuates along with the abort gate to send the spark again to a safe location outside. And that's the short uh, version of what those systems are. Yeah, thank you for going through that. And thank you for rearranging the list in an order that makes sense. Spark arresting systems, spark traps are generally closer to the I don't know, tool end or the, the, the pickup end of the dust collection system, as you mentioned. And they work by cooling the spark down and the different traps or arresters going to work in different ways. Some of them might expand the flow, some of them might provide a different path for that spark to travel, but the goal is to have it continue through but to cool down. Spark detection is installed farther downstream. It's an active system based on um, infrared or photo detectors or sensors that activate something downstream. This could then be a suppression system, which could be water or some other material that's compatible, other liquid or solid that's compatible with the materials you're using, or it could be an abort gate system. And I can see how the order I put those in don't make sense. It makes sense to do arresting first. So I appreciate you. Uh, reordering that for me. What are the, the differences then? I guess it was a fair to kind of categorize these into two categories at this stage where we have spark arresting systems and then spark detection plus aborting or extinguishing systems. Does that sort of make sense as two categories to start with? Actually, they, they serve the same purpose. Some people actually call these fire protection systems, but that is not necessarily correct. What they actually are, all of these, whether it's a spark arrestor, a detect and spray extinguishing system, a detect and abort, abort system, all of these things are actually ignition source control devices or systems. 
their main purpose is to prevent a, a spark or an ember from causing a fire explosion in the ducting or more likely scenario in an air material separator. In an air material separator, the dust concentration is usually above the MEC. And so you, if you can keep a credible source of ignition out of there, you are, you're miles ahead. That makes sense. And that sort of feeds in then the second kind of question that I wanted to clarify that is, what is the difference between these ignition source controlled devices or systems and say an explosion suppression system or a mechanical isolation device? That's the other kind of confusion we see quite a bit. So what are the difference between what we're talking about now and explosion suppression or mechanical and isolation? The main difference is ignition source control devices help to prevent a fire and explosion fire protection or explosion protection devices like you mentioned explosion suppression uh, isolation venting is another one uh, those come into effect when you have an explosion if we can prevent that explosion from occurring then those are not used and you know i, I mentioned um, uh, fire protection uh, something that's very similar to the detect and spray that you might have in a duct line is a deluge system inside a dust collector or cyclone. Those are activated by either a heat sensor or an infrared sensor, or in the case of just a simple sprinkler system, a fusible link. Uh, once you have a fire, these can extinguish the fire. And the way they do that is they dump hundreds of gallons of water very quickly or it doesn't have to be water, it can be another extinguishing agent, but it puts a lot of that in there to basically stop the fire. But the systems that we're talking about today prevent credible ignition sources from getting to the, to the air material separator, where the other systems only activate once you have an incident, be it a fire or explosion. Okay, yeah, that's helpful clarification because I can see it being difficult to kind of wrap our head around these different concepts and where they all fit in. So we have ignition source control, that would be a fire or explosion prevention method. Um, we have fire protection methods, such as loose systems in, in a dust collector. We have explosion protection methods, such as suppression and venting. And, and isolation can kind of be included in here. It may also be a good idea to include explosion isolation as a separate sort of category, but that's probably beyond the scope of, of the discussion here today that we're more talking about the ignition side. Um, those are some of the, the main categories of prevention and protection techniques you'd be looking at. Uh, if we had a, a given system, and the kind of example I pulled out is a laser cutting table that is connected with a small dust extraction system, what design considerations would go into avoiding ignition within this type of equipment you know, with from your experience, what what do you see as the general process we look at there? Well, depending on on several factors, just a single for this example, just a single laser cutting table connected to a small dust uh, dust collection system. Any one of the systems that we mentioned, whether it is a spark trap or spark arrestor, excuse me, uh, detect and spray, detect and abort, any of those can be used. However, uh, if you have a short duct run uh, where you don't actually have enough room to install a spark detector and then uh, a downstream mitigation, you normally see spark traps close to the hood. If you have a slightly larger system with multiple tables, 
all being manifolded together into the into the main duct and then a, a decent distance of duct you might see a combination of those you might see a spark trap by the hoods you might see detectant spray and or detectant abort in the main duct before you get to the dust collector but what you have to look at is uh, how much room that you have in the duct and how many devices you're protecting and the how many devices you're protecting how does that kind of factor in because I, I can understand the duct length because you need a certain length for the detectors and that but what's the other part as a for instance spark traps are very good at at cooling down the vast majority of the of the sparks or embers that go into them however occasionally one can get through uh, if you have multiple tables that are all creating uh, embers that are going into the dust collection system your odds go up that that spark trap might let something through and so with the larger systems where you have room to do it uh, using another ignition source control system downstream of that makes sense because it increases your odds of actually catching and preventing that uh, that ember from causing a problem in the dust collector. That makes sense. And would there ever be a scenario where, you know, say you do have a detect and suppress or detect and abort system, would you potentially install a spark trap in order to reduce the frequency of activation of that system? Because I assume you may need to shut down the line and do some things each time it activates. Is that a consideration or or is it more uh, that's infrequent enough generally that that's not a, a concern? Well, uh, yeah, that is a consideration. And, and what I look at when I'm designing a, a mitigation a solution for a given system, I'll look at the frequency of creating sparks as a as a for instance in a in a either a manual or a automated grinding system if you're if this system is grinding on equipment that causes sparks continuously or at least frequently i would put a spark trap in that as a first step and i may do something else downstream in a system uh, i mentioned saws and, and and planers and things earlier or sanders are a good example. A sanding system, even sanding just wood, will occasionally create a spark or an ember. Is it worth putting, let's say a, 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 a given production sander might have six or eight uh, pickups on one unit. Uh, is it worth putting a spark trap on each of those to to collect the occasional spark? Or is it better to just provide a uh, a detect and spray or multiple zones of that, maybe one or two zones of detect and spray and then a, 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 a zone of detect and abort to protect it. And as a rule, it's usually um, it's usually better to not put the spark detectors on or excuse me, uh, spark arresters on each of those individual ducts and just protect the system as a whole. So those are the type of things that I look at when I'm uh, when I'm determining what the appropriate uh, equipment is to protect in the given scenario. That makes sense. I think we've, we've identified some of the challenges that would typically come up, but anything else that we haven't covered yet in terms of design implementation of these types of systems? Uh, there are a few. I already mentioned that uh, uh, quality spark arrestor catches most or all the sparks, but one of the things that you need to pay attention to on that, they work at a, in a given velocity range and the manufacturer uh, will usually specify what that velocity range is. For instance, if you have a spark arrestor 
that is designed to work up to uh, 5,000 or 5,500 feet a minute, and your dust collection system is running 6,000 feet a minute in that particular duct, that arrestor is not going to catch very much because you're overrunning that system. Also, uh, in the case of a of a infrared or, or photo eye spark detector, if you have certain material that's sticky, that agglomerates, or that they can blind that detector, you need to make sure that you have some sort of either automated cleaning system, you're blowing compressed air on it to keep it clean, or that you do periodic uh, maintenance and pull that sensor, clean it, and then reinstall it. Another consideration, and this is something that that manufacturers specify, but sometimes they don't have all the information. Another consideration for any type of detection and then mitigation afterwards, whether uh, detect and spray extinguishing systems, detect and abort, you have to look at a combination of your system activation time, your duct velocity, and the distance between the detector and the mitigation downstream. I can give you an example of that. If you have a system where your activation time from when the sensor sees the spark until the extinguishment or the abort gate activates. And let's say a common time for that is 500 milliseconds. So if you have a system that activates in 500 milliseconds, you have a duct velocity of 5,280 feet per minute. I pick that because that's 60 miles an hour. It's that's something that everyone can relate to. Uh, and you have a distance between your detector and the extinguishing device of 40 feet, you're going to overrun your protection when you're running at your maximum airflow because at uh, 5,280 feet per minute, the spark can travel 44 feet in 500 milliseconds or half a second. Your solution for that is either to slow down uh, your velocity slightly or extend the distance between the detect and detection and activation. Now, when these systems are originally designed and installed, the manufacturer will ask the question, what is your maximum velocity in your duct? And people will honestly answer that. They'll tell them, okay, our maximum velocity is 5,000 feet a minute in the duct, for instance. But over time, things change. Uh, I know that we have talked in, in other podcasts at length about how knowledge of the system degrades over time. Uh, someone might say, well, hey, we're not picking up at this particular duct, so let's speed up the fan. And suddenly you're running at 6,000 feet a minute when the system was designed for five. Nobody takes that into consideration when that fan speed change is made, and now you're overrunning your protection. So that is a that is an important consideration. And the last thing to, to think about is the location of your detection and your extinguisher aboard equipment. You don't want to mount either of those in a turbulent area in your ducting, whether it's near an elbow, a branch, a fan, a collector, whatever. Anything that causes turbulence, that can change the velocity in that little section of the duct and cause you to uh, overrun your detection or your uh, protection also. I've actually seen that happen. I, I had a customer here a few years ago that had a very well-designed system, but when it was installed, they added an elbow, and that elbow happened to be about a foot, foot and a half on a very large duct away from a uh, spark detector. And they were constantly overrunning their system and, and getting fires in their dust collector. And they came to me and said, I don't understand this. We have this, our velocities are good, 
everything looks right and yet we're still getting past our our protection and when i looked at the system i said okay well you have a uh, sensor in a turbulent area in the duct that could be uh, either causing that uh, to be hidden from the sensor or it could also be causing it to be moving faster in that particular section of the duct and overrunning your protection so those are some of the things that i look at both when we're designing these systems and also when we're troubleshooting them you know there there obviously can be other considerations but those are the main ones that i look at yeah really great example with turbulence from the elbows an example there and then also putting some specific numbers to you know activation time 500 milliseconds duct velocity 60 miles an hour 40 foot of duct uh oh it doesn't activate to 44 feet of duct <laughs> so that means that's how far the sparks travels that means it's four feet into your your dust collector and it's you know starting a fire in there um, really nice to kind of see those numbers lay out a piece that you sort of mentioned with zoning so there's two parts of it you talked about zones and you talked about detect and spray or detect and suppress and detect and abort systems I can see how activation time and, and some of these characteristics with the duct velocity and spacing might come into play there. But anything else on you know choosing between these two different options? Like as a designer, is there you know scenarios where you might look to favor a detect and abort over detect and suppress, or you use both in a zoned approach? Like what kind of considerations go into that? Any one of them by themselves can work. What I look at uh, when I'm designing that number one, I look at what the customer's company standards are. Some companies actually require multiple detection sprays and detecting aborts. That's just the, the policy of the company. Others, when they leave it up to us, what I'm looking at is adding layers of safety. If I have a spark trap at the source, I have a detect and extinguish uh, or detect and spray system uh, in one zone, and then I also downstream from that habit detect an abort, what I have done is I have, number one, tried to stop the, the spark close to the source. If it gets past that, I have a second layer of protection where I am trying to extinguish that uh, spark. And then finally, if it gets past that, for whatever reason, I have a last resort where I can abort around the dust collector and send that out of the system into a safe location. In those scenarios, would you would you know that an abort happens generally? Like, can a, a company then use that to measure how successful those layers have have been? If they're aborting frequently, then the upstream systems aren't aren't you know working as well as they could. Maybe I don't know if that's something that the company might look at. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, anytime that you abort around a dust collector, you're sending dust into the atmosphere, and Anyone that's ever had to file for an air permit knows that you only have a certain amount of dust that you're allowed to put into the atmosphere in a given amount of time. So also, as a rule, abort gates lock open. So you have to manually reset them. Now, not all of them, uh, just like the, the 500 milliseconds that I mentioned earlier, that's a common activation time. That is by no means the only activation time. It's the same with abort gates. Not all of them lock open where you have to manually reset them, but most of them do. So you will know that this is happening. And also, if you get multiple activations of your of your detect and spray system, uh, you should get a an indication of that back uh, from that system's controls to your main uh, plant interface. 
and it should show up on a uh, operator interface terminal somewhere to let you know, or at least a management uh, interface terminal where you will know that, hey, this system just activated. We need to see what's going on. Great. And I think that probably feeds into our discussion we have had last week about incident investigation and when those are some of those non-loss causing scenarios where you may you know, bring somebody in to look at that system and evaluate, okay, how can we how can we reduce the chance of that happening? Um, because every time you hit your last layer of protection, well, that's that's the you're you're only one layer away from having a fire dust collector and maybe a fire is the last layer of protection between explosion. I'm not sure. I don't think that would be a good safety justification, but it's it's interesting to see how those kind of things could play out um, in the design of these systems. Absolutely. Then kind of wrapping up, we talked a lot about explosion prevention and, and more more specifically ignition source control devices and systems, how they're implemented, how they can be coupled. Under what conditions would we also bring in then explosion prevention and protection scenarios in addition to these ignition source control scenarios? Um, do you have any input on that? Absolutely. While these ignition source control systems and equipment uh, installed in the duct can prevent something that's generated upstream of the dust collector from getting to the dust collector, that is not necessarily the only ignition source or credible ignition source that you could have in the dust collector. Uh, anytime that you have a, a combustible dust system with an explosion hazard, you need to have explosion protection uh, for that. So just because you're keeping sparks or embers from upstream from getting in there, you're not preventing, for instance, a, a bearing overheat or something like that uh, from also causing an explosion. So you, if you have a credible uh, explosion scenario, you need to have explosion protection. The ignition source control is just one additional step of safety to keep ignition sources from getting to that. So another thing to consider, explosion protection equipment is used to protect personnel and equipment when an explosion occurs. But any explosion and activation of this uh, explosion protection equipment will stop production for an undetermined amount of time. Uh, at the very least, you may have to replace vents or 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 recharge active suppression systems, or reset isolation devices. If you include ignition source control systems upstream of that uh, and can prevent those credible sources of ignition from getting to the dust collector, you may, or actually more accurately, I should say a material separator because dust collector or a cyclone, but you may prevent an explosion prevent that uh, from activating and greatly reduce your downtime because of that. Now, one thing I, I will say that if you have a water-based system and you have an activation of that system, I do recommend that before you start back up, you pull a few bags from various locations or cartridges from various locations in the dust collector and send them to the manufacturer. Filter bags and filter cartridges as a rule hate water. Water can cause the uh, dust cake on the on the filter or cartridge to harden. It can cause uh, premature impingement of the uh, of the filter media. And so, if you pull a few bags and obviously replace them with new bags, but if you pull a few bags, send them off to the manufacturer of that bag, uh, and have them do an analysis on it, you can tell if 
if you're if all your bags need to be changed or if um, if you're fine and that has not affected your dust collection efficiency on the bags. So I always recommend that that you do that after a water-based system activates. It's a lot more common with uh, deluge systems than it is with the detect and sprays, but sometimes depending on the settings of that system, that that spray may be going on for quite a while and you might be able, uh, you might be migrating some water into your dust collector that could affect your bags. No, that makes sense. And in terms of then fire protection, because we sort of looped those into discussion, it's, it's probably kind of the same considerations, right? So what credible scenarios fires do you have in your dust collector or the process equipment that's downstream and if that's not covered by your ignition source control and not covered is, is one thing but also was the frequency in which those control systems might fail then you may also look at a, a fire protection system in that dust collector as well like a Duluth system or, or that does that does that make sense or is there other things we should be thinking about there absolutely especially if you have a material but let's take wood dust for instance where I'm located, uh, a lot of the wood plants are working with uh, southern yellow pine. And while you try not to use your dust collector as a storage device, sometimes things happen and you do have material that stays in the collector for an extended amount of time, whether it's as the bag cake or whether it's in the hopper, if it's not discharging properly, or if it builds up on the hopper walls. Southern yellow pine, as it breaks down and deteriorates, generates heat and can. Uh, ignite. In those situations, I always recommend uh, that the customer have a fire protection system in their dust collector, as well as explosion and, and other and other types of, of protection. Uh, the reason is because of the nature of the material, it's very likely that you can have a fire and not necessarily have an explosion, and you need to do something to extinguish that fire before it causes an explosion. So that's what I look at when I'm recommending it. And again, you need to look at the entire uh, system, determine what your material is, how likely you are to have a fire. If you have a credible uh, fire scenario, then you need to protect it. Just like if you have a credible explosion scenario, you need to protect it. So those are the things I look at. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, that ties right into the dust hazard analysis process, identifying all of your scenarios, identifying existing controls, providing a gap analysis against what controls are going to bring you in compliance, providing a gap analysis on what controls are going to bring you into safe application. Hopefully those are the same things. If they are, then that's great. And then these systems that we're talking about are those solutions in removing those credible hazard scenarios. So just like you said, spark arresting or detection aborting extinguished systems may remove some of those credible hazard scenarios. But then you need to ask yourself what's left. And a lot of time that we'll get the question about, is this enough? A thorough and systematic hazard analysis hasn't been completed at that stage. And the answer is, well, I can't really tell you if it's enough until you evaluate what all the, the hazard scenarios are that are, are in your facility and what control measures are put in place. And you bring up an excellent point of that. You know, is, is self-combustion a possibility in your dust collector? Well, if it is, then no, <laughs> bringing, you know, stopping the, the stuff from entering the system isn't enough because you have a credible ignition scenario that's that can be self-generated right inside the, the dust collector. Really important discussion, really informative. I told Kevin before the podcast is a, an excellent way of combining illustrative examples with, you know, the talking cadence of, of 
folks that are down in, in that part of the world and a really good way of teaching this stuff. So I appreciate you coming on and, and talking us through all these and sharing your experience. Any, any sort of last com- comments, anything you want to leave the office on between these different options um, for, for these type of applications? The, the one thing, if nothing else, I want to make sure that uh, people understand that you need to have a qualified person or a qualified company determine your mitigation plan and what equipment that will uh, that involves. I have seen equipment that was overprotected, and you might say, "Well, how is that possible?" Well, uh, you can spend a lot of money on doing absolutely everything, and sometimes you can have false activations or other things that actually cost you downtime just by saying, well, let's just do everything. Uh, And other times I've seen people not consider certain scenarios that are very valid and therefore they are underprotected. If you have a, a qualified person, a qualified company, help you determine your mitigation strategy, what equipment do you need uh, and how it's installed, that will go a long way in both ensuring safety and making sure that you're not spending money that you don't necessarily have to spend. So if there's anything that I want people to understand, it's that. Make sure that you partner with someone or a company that is qualified and has the experience to help you set up your mitigation strategy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, And I certainly believe that Airdesco Engineering and Design Services is certainly one of those companies um, with yourself and, and the other experts that are there really that bring a, a pretty expertise level knowledge about a broad amount of topics. And yeah, it's, I mean, we've had basically most of the folks on your team we've had on the podcast before talking through different pieces of information. And that's because you're, you're out there sharing, teaching, trying to help us with this information. So if you want to connect with Kevin or the Airdesco team, we'll have a way to do that in the show notes for this episode dustsafetyscience.com slash 173. If you go there, we'll have some contact um, information for Kevin. I'll have that for the last episode in 172 as well. Um, and you can certainly also go to dustsafetyprofessionals.com and connect with him there. Um, and we have a range of experts on, on all topics of combustible dust related there as well. So I want to say thank you, Kevin. Thank you for the work you do. Um, thank you for the work that Dusco does down there. And I appreciate the continued efforts for educating folks with combustible dust safety. I'm working to prevent explosions from happening, going in and figuring out what went wrong when they do in the goal to, to make facilities that are handling a bustle less safer at the end of the day. So thank you for that. Thank you, Chris, for the opportunity to uh, talk about these subjects and help uh, and all that you do in educating the public. It's really, really important work that you do, and, and it's greatly appreciated. Well, thank you so much. Um, and I'm sure it won't be another 100 episodes before we get you back on the podcast again. So thanks, Kevin. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Kevin Cardwell, Combustible Dust Consultant with Airdusco Engineering and Design Services. We've been talking about spark detection. Actually, I'll put it in the right order. Spark arresting systems um, and spark detection, aborting and extinguishing systems on this podcast episode. We talked around some definitions. These are all ignition source control devices or ignition source control systems. A spark arrestor or spark trap, something that's generally placed closer to the pickup locations where sparks are generated. Um, Kevin made a a really great point here early on that when we say sparks in this episode, really talking about any sort of ignition 
causing material. I can't think of a better way to say it than that, but this is glowing embers. It's hot material. It sparks from a grinder or saw, you know, hot embers. These are all things that we're sort of talking about in this episode when we say sparks. A spark arrestor is designed to be put in place. It's a passive system that cools those down in the duct itself. So then they can pass through the system or or be arrested right there so that they, they don't uh, ignite material downstream. We talked about detection systems. So these are um, either infrared or photovoltaic. I'm not sure if that's the right wording, but sensors that uh, can sense when those sparks or hot materials are present. And these are active systems that then activate in a Borgate system, a spark suppression system downstream, or some other type of system as well. And then we talked about the difference between a board gates and suppression systems. We went to a specific application. We gave this example of a laser cutting table connected to a dust collection system. We talked about a number of things around design of ignition source control for this type of system. Um, we talked about a lot of challenges as well. So the things you're going to be looking at are how many pickup locations are there, how long is your ducting, uh, might be some considerations of how strong your ducting is and some other things like that as well the velocity that your system is being run at, the activation time it takes for your system. These all are things that a, a safety system designer would include in understanding and evaluating what systems can be used. Because if you put the wrong system on, you may overrun, that spark may overrun the system and, and get in your dust collector and cause a fire. Or on the other side, you know what the, op, what the best and optimal solution is given the frequency occurrence, given the variables and parameters you have in your system. Um, location of abort and suppression material is another consideration that comes down. And also what kind of process variables do you have in place that you can modify? Can you slow the, the velocity down? All would come into play in understanding and designing a safety system. We kind of closed out with a discussion of, okay, we talked a lot about ignition source control. When do we need to be considering explosion source or explosion protection methods rather, and even fire protection methods in your dust collector or in your processing equipment that's downstream? And this really came to an evaluation of, well, do you have additional hazard, credible hazard scenarios that aren't covered by the existing systems? Or was the frequency of failure of those existing control systems? And under both those cases where you don't we have additional credible hazard scenarios like, you know, smoldering mass inside your dust collector or otherwise, then you, you'll need explosion protection as well on those systems or fire protection as well. And that's really comes into doing a thorough and systematic evaluation of the hazards at your facility. And we sort of closed off saying that should be done by a qualified person. This is a person that has the general knowledge of combustible dust background expertise to understand and evaluate the hazards, but also the specific expertise in your given industry with the type of equipment that you use and has seen more than one you know, plant and facility using that type of equipment. That really helps them, to know, them knowing what they, they don't know about your type of equipment and facility as well. So I really appreciate this episode. I appreciate the Ardesco team and Kevin coming on. I also appreciate you, the listener, tuning in these podcast episodes. We're probably closing in on 30,000 downloads. Um, a couple hundred people listen to every episode. So to everyone that's listening to this one today, I do want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for the work that you're doing around the world in combustible dust, making facilities safer um, with the work that you're doing every day. 